They cried and cried and cried over something that I couldn't control. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Shadows in the Cave. My name is Edel Zelos, and I'll be with you for just a little bit. And today we're going to talk about that little voice that's so fucking annoying, that keeps you up at night, that doesn't let you sleep, reminding you of your failures, reminding you of the things that could have been, right? And that little voice is called anxiety. And that little voice is very debilitating to a lot of people. And it's nothing but ruminating thoughts. That's really what it is. Uh, and it's just this narrative that we that we tell ourselves. This narrative that we start believing. And sometimes it's so strong that it activates our fight or flight response. And it creates a physical uh, reaction, which are known as anxiety attacks or panic attacks. So... Think about that for a minute. All this is going on in your own head. You, you, you kind of riled yourself up to the point where your body thinks that it's under attack. That's incredible. It, so, you know, you have the ruminating thoughts. You have the catastrophizing. You have the personalizing. Um, and pretty soon, your brain tells your body that it's under attack by its own thoughts. And... Essentially, what a fight or flight response is, uh, it's this idea that our body gets triggered with endorphins. It gets triggered with uh, adrenaline, all going on at the same time. And so it's it's the equivalent of like if you if you're at the zoo and you fucking uh, tip over and you fall into the bear cage, you're gonna be able to fucking fly out of that cage because that's a fight or flight response. Well, that's what's going on when you have a, an anxiety attack or a panic attack, except there's nobody there. You know, you could be in your bedroom, you could be in your living room, you could be at the mall, and you have that anxiety attack, and your heart's beating fast, your, you know, your, your uh, central nervous system activates, and thus you're not, no, <clears throat> excuse me, you're no longer in control. So... That's really what's going on when we have these panic attacks. Um, and today we're going to talk about um, challenging those thoughts and reframing those thoughts so that you kind of uh, don't have those panic attacks anymore. Or even, you know, you calm yourself down or even normalizing the panic attacks. Because I know that when I've done, um, when I've done my clinical work, one of the things that works for a lot of my patients is this idea of normalizing what a panic attack or an anxiety attack is. Um, I think when we get hit with one, if we understand what it is beforehand, it doesn't freak us out. It doesn't, you know, because when when you first get these, you think you're having a uh, a heart attack. Sometimes, you know, you're out of breath. You, it, it's it's very scary. Anxiety atta attacks are incredibly scary and very debilitating. And they, even after the attack is over, your mind still has the, the, these uh, ruminating thoughts going, going around it. And a lot, of them, a lot of them tend to be very morbid, right? So you're, even though your, your, your anxiety is gone, your, your panic attack is over, there's a lingering effect that could keep you up for hours afterwards. And so um, it's, it's very important that a person understands what's happening. So even if they don't have the skills or the techniques or the interventions 
to not have the panic attacks, realizing that you got hit with one allows you to react in a positive way. And that in itself becomes an intervention, you know, and, and there's a lot of techniques for that. So one of the things about anxiety that I always tell my patients is that anxiety, you, you have to sit with it. Whenever you have anxiety, you have to, it's like that little, like that little pesky little demon that keeps on bugging you. And the more attention you pay to it and the more you try to fight it, the more intense it gets. So uh, there comes a point where you just have to kind of let it pass through you. Rather than you trying to go around it, you have to pass through it. And that's one of the biggest ways to eliminate anxiety. Um, you know, you, you, you normalize it. You tell yourself that your thoughts, you're reacting to emotion. You're not reacting to reality. And that's one of the, that's a big difference when it comes to people that suffer from anxiety, because when you're suffering from anxiety, you're reacting to an emotional stimulus rather than a rational thought. So you have to understand, okay, what am I reacting to? Am I reacting to something that happened in my day? Am I reacting to a trigger that I experienced? Am I reacting to, um, to, to, uh, or am I reacting to a real thought, right? And sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference because our thoughts and our emotions are connected and they create a physical reaction or a physical behavior. And we talked a little bit about that in the last show. So, and, and I'm, I apologize. My voice is a little hoarse today. I was having a karaoke with my nieces earlier. So uh, I'm a little, I'm a little hoarse today, but anyways, so yeah, so that, that's what, that's how we have to treat anxiety. I mean, we have to sit with it. When, when it hits us, you know, I tell people, you know, put on some music and just understand what's happening and try to get some rest. Because if you if you give in to the anxiety, it's just going to get worse. Um, and that's one of the good that's a good intervention. You know, another another good intervention is to distract yourself. You could write what's what's affecting you. You know, I know journaling is incredibly important. Uh, you know, because when you journal, what happens is that you start journaling your thoughts and then you read them back to yourself and it gives you a, a like a third dimensional perspective of what's going on. And it's, it's almost like another person's telling you what you're thinking and you're able to kind of see either how like, uh, you know, ridiculous those thoughts could be or how you've been catastrophizing those thoughts the entire time. Or how the, those thoughts are connected to an emotion, which, like I said earlier, um, it's not good to to have build conclusions on emotions. You want to build conclusions on logical, real thoughts. So that's that, that, that's some of the things that we're gonna talk about today. Um, but let's talk a little bit about where anxiety could come from. And 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 I always tell people it's like most of the stuff that we get anxious about are fears that we learn and that's one of the things that that you have to understand is that you know babies are not born with anxiety anxieties are stuff that we pick up from our worldview perspective and from some of the social pressures that we have so if you learn anxiety if you learn the stressors that worry you to the point of creating panic attacks then it's very possible to unlearn them you just have to you because you yourself are giving them the power and you know I think social pressures, especially for young people, are 
are something that's prevalent, you know, when it comes to anxiety, because, uh, you know, you start thinking about your future, you start thinking about what you haven't done, you start thinking about what you don't have, you know, you're, I, I don't have the big house yet, you know, I'm not married yet, you know, I don't have an education yet, uh, I don't have the right job yet, and so you start catastrophizing. And what happens is that depending how you feel about yourself in general, if you have negative core beliefs, then that's that's only going to feed into the anxiety. So if you already have self-esteem issues that, that you probably attained from a young age, you know, maybe even childhood, um, then that's all going to come out. And that just agitates the entire anxiety. So it's very important that you you're very cognizant of these things working against you you know it's very important that you understand that this is something that you learned right because of your community of your family of your culture um and that it's okay for you to define your own life and that's what everybody that's what i want everybody to do is have the ability to define your own life because like i said last week we shouldn't compare ourselves to anyone because we are we all have our own journey and everybody's experience is different, you know. You can't compare to your neighbor that got lucky breaks that you didn't get. You can't compare yourself to your, you know, uh, uh, family members that have a different trajectory than you do. Because it's, it's, it's like a fingerprint. It's completely different for everybody. And everybody has different setbacks and everybody has different breaks. So um, that's something that we have to think about. When we start, when we when our when we start having these ruminating thoughts, um, and we start catastrophizing. Now, catastrophizing, because I keep on bringing that up because that's very common, um, and that's a term that's from cognitive behavioral therapy, and is this idea that the worst is gonna happen. And again, that's connected to how how we view ourselves, right? Because if we have these negative core beliefs that we're always failures, that we're not worthy of success, um, that no matter how much we try, we always fail, then that's really, that's that's an emotion, and, and, and that's going to push out the behavior. So if that's if that's where your core is, then that's what, that's what you have to work on, you know. It's not, it's not really about the job interview or the date that you're going to have the next day or whether or not you're going to succeed in losing weight. That That's, those, those are just... Those are just issues that come up in daily life, but the way you react to those issues, that's really where the, where the problem is. Because if, if, you, if you don't have the proper self-esteem to deal with that, then you're going to be riddled with anxiety and your mind is going to try to protect you from the foreseeable failure that you've already created as a default setting in your mind and it's going to give you all these reasons for you not to try. So and then, of course, the, the, the cycle there is when you constantly fail, you validate what you already think about yourself and does you feel shame and, and it just goes in a big circle over and over and over. So that's the, the keys that we got to stop that circle. We got to stop that chain and we got to break it and we got to start a new path because that's really what it's all about. Um, and I think I think, you know, having these self-fulfilling prophecies of failure over and over and over adds to the idea that you're not worthy of success and then that adds to the anxiety that builds up so it's all it's all one big circular pattern 
that that we have to try to break and that a lot of people have a hard time breaking because they constantly validate their own failure. So um, and rather than focus on their successes, they'll focus on their failures and they'll magnify their failures and thus creating more of a negative core belief about themselves. And that's really what people struggle with. And, and But again, going back to what I said earlier, all these things are all learned. And, you know, I think at its core, we have to be able to um, manifest our own reality. We have to be able to give meaning to our own life. And, you know, I know culture, cultural differences are, it's, it's very hard sometimes because our families have expectations of us, right? Our, sometimes our religious beliefs kind of impede our ability to create our own reality or, or create our own meaning. Um, because our religious beliefs have also have certain expectations with us, you know, from a moral standpoint, from an ethical standpoint. So it, it becomes kind of a balancing act of where, where does my individuality start and where does my um, subservient attitude towards my culture or my religious beliefs or anything else that, that binds you to a community, where does that start? And that's the conflict that a lot of people have. Um, and, you know, it's it's very important that we take everything on a case-by-case basis, you know, because I think people put so much stock in what's expected of them from, from our society, from our families, from our communities. And they don't give themselves enough of a break to, to add everything they've gone through in their lives that has created barriers for them to succeed. So just sometimes if you've been a survivor for many, many years, and I know a lot of you listening have been, then that's something to, you know, your resilience of all the things that you've kind of had to um, overcome, that's something to be proud of. And that's something that people should take stock in when they're analyzing where they're at in their lives, you know. Rather than seeing I should have been up here, we should we should start with I could have been way down there, but I'm not. I'm here, and every day that I wake up is a chance for me to take another step forward. And I think a lot of people tend to just ignore that part of their lives. They tend to ignore how much of a fighter they are and how much of a survivor they are. And rather than feed on that and feed on those victories, they tend to just think about what they don't have and think about why they don't have it and you know that's not fair that's not fair to you that's not fair to your mental health you know everybody has obstacles to overcome and everybody's different in that sense so wherever you're at if you have the ability if you have the insights if you have the judgment to see to say that you want to take the next the next step forward then that's enough of a victory to start the process. And that's what I tell people all the time. You know, it's like, I feel like, you know, we all have something to be grateful for. And holding on to the gratitude is enough for you to take you to the next step rather than rather than focusing on what you don't have. You know, you focus on what you do have, you know. And if worse comes to worse, you have a heartbeat and you have a next day. That's enough right there to get you started, right? So another thing that builds on the anxiety is this idea of lost time. That's a popular one. Um, 
I hear it all the time. Well, why wasted so and so? Why wasted so and so? And my and my thought to that is, who cares? You didn't waste it. You know, it, it's it's a journey. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's it's the idea that you're 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 a you're a human being who's in constant progress. So, you know, you do your inventory when this life is all said and done. You don't do your inventory when you're like halfway through your life. That's not fair. You know, because you 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 have a you have an entire second half. Like, like you can't sit there and say, well, I wasted all this time because you haven't wasted this time because this entire time brought you to that point where you made that realization and thus it's not wasted time, it's progress. And then you could go ahead and say, well, the wasted time was actually learning opportunities that made me who I am today and this is where I'm going to go forward. And that's, that really kind of quills some of the anxiety some of that quote-unquote lost time, which is very frustrating for me because that's all subjective. And again, it's all your your mind trying to remind you that, trying to keep you in that status quo of failure. It's, it's really not lost time at all. It's just this idea that the, the lessons that that time gave you are not clear to you yet. And sometimes they'll become clear to you when you come to the realization of like, no, it wasn't lost time. So I think that's one of the big things that people deal with, you know, um, and they ruminate at night. It's like, God, I lost this time. I got lost this time. And the irony of it to me and somewhat comedic is that you ruminate so much about lost time that you lose even more time. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there comes a point where you got to say, fuck that. I, I okay, It's fine. It's in the past. I can't I can't do anything about it. What I could do is. I could take a step towards the future. You know what I'm saying? So even even though even though the chapter that I wrote of my life in the beginning wasn't what I wanted, I could still write the ending that I want. I still have that power to write the happy ending for myself. Even though the the introduction of my life wasn't what I wanted it to be, doesn't mean that the the, the ending of my life should be any any more stressful than than the introduction to my life. So we have that power. That's another thing. We have to understand the power that we have for ourselves. We have to understand that at the end of the day, it's not about any situation that happens to you. Because we're always going to get bombarded with negative situations. That's life, folks. I mean, that, what do you want me to tell you? I don't have a solution for you there. Life is harsh. Life is hard. Life is mean. Life will throw a lot of shit at you. Because that's, what, that's the world we live in. So we have no control over that. But what we do have control over is how we react to those situations. That's something we can control. We have we have like 95% of that is within our power to react to the situations that come to us. And once you have that state of mind, it allows you to justify some of the actions that you take towards those situations. So that's another thing that, you know, People feel powerless, and it's like, well, you're, you feel powerless because you're not using your power. So you're just giving it away, you know. We do have power of choice. That's, nobody could take that away from you. Every situation that you're in, literally every situation that you're in, even if you're in prison, you have, you have a choice to react while you're in prison, how you're going to behave, right? And I, and I, and, and I deal with psychiatric patients all the time and I tell them that and even like adolescents 
that are like at risk. I tell them, listen, you're here, you're here in this hospital in large because of the choices that you made. And that's okay because those choices are were there to give you the awareness of what you got to do next to succeed. So it was a good investment in the long run. But you're here now. You're in this hospital. You don't have control over what you got to do. You got to eat when they tell you to eat. You got to sleep when they tell you to sleep. That's fine. But you still have the choice to react to that scenario. And depending on how you react to it, that's only going to open doors for you or it's going to close doors for you. It depends how, how you react to it. You know, if you're going to be reactive emotionally, it could hurt you. If you're going to be reactive logically, it could benefit you. You know, And sometimes it's okay to react emotionally, depending on the situation. It's not always bad to react emotionally. We're human beings. We have to we have to give in to our emotions sometimes because we have to process those emotions. So there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to have you just have to have the insights and the smarts to know when it's okay to do that. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna continue talking about anxiety in just a little bit, right? But right now I'm gonna take a little break because my voice is killing me right now. So um, it's gonna be like a millisecond for you guys, but it'll be like the next day for me. All right, so let's continue talking about ruminating thoughts, which is one of the classic symptoms of anxiety so ruminating thoughts or rumination is this idea that you you're you're kind of being you're kind of dominated by a single thought or a string of thoughts that just keep on repeating and repeating and repeating themselves all day or all night and that's really what keeps people up at night and it's the 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 process of just thinking about the same thoughts which a lot of times tend to be very dark or sad or morbid, and that's what rumination is. And it's it could be very debilitating because, you know, the difference between normal and abnormal behavior is when abnormal it becomes abnormal when it affects your daily life. Like everybody, everybody in the world, because we're all human beings, we're all gonna experience anxiety. We're all gonna experience depression. Like I talked a couple of weeks ago or last week or whenever the hell these shows go up. Um, um, we all have little neurotic tendencies about ourselves, but that's okay because what happens is that normal mentally healthy individuals, they go back to their default setting, which tends to be pretty normal where it becomes abnormal is when all these issues start affecting your daily life and your functional living habits, right? So, when you when you develop insomnia because of anxiety, when you develop panic attacks because of anxiety, when you're not allowed to go to work or socialize with your friends, um, or you're in a constant state of fight or flight response, that's that's not good, and that's really when it becomes more of a of a way of life, and that's really what we have to look at. And rumination is very common for a lot of people, and it's it's very frustrating. Because you can't get out of your head. But again, like I said earlier, and this takes a lot of practice and techniques, but it's yourself that's giving those thoughts the power because they are in your head. And the idea here is that you want to stop them, right? So people ruminate for, for a lot of reasons. You know, they believe that by ruminating, you'll, they'll, gain, they'll gain some sort of insight into their problem or they have a history of emotional or physical trauma or they're facing stressors 
that they can't control. Those are three of the main, more common reasons why people ruminate. Um, and and so, you know, it, it kind of brings a lot of stress to your life. Um, uh, but there's a lot of little things that we could do to uh, fight the rumination thoughts, right? I mean, one, one of the things that I talked about earlier was journaling. I mean, you if, if you have these thoughts in your head, see, a lot of times what happens, too, is that because we don't have, our brain is very fragmented. It doesn't have linear notes where it could process the information. So you keep on going back to the same problem over and over. And even though, even though you, in that thought process, came up with what you would consider a reasonable solution, you know, you you tend to lose it in the fog of the rumination. So you go right back to the beginning. So one of the one of the things that that's very uh, that's a good strategy to do would be to journal. You know, you get up in the middle of the night, you have your journal, or your diary, and you start writing down your thoughts. You start writing down your ruminating thoughts, and they start making linear sense at that point because you're actually putting pen to paper. And like I said earlier, you read them back to yourself. And that's almost like you're talking to a friend and that that will allow you to calm you down, right? So I know people that journal like two or three times a week. And then it also gives you perspective on the overall problem that's stressing you. It, it allows you to see, okay, well, this is what I, I'm stressing about. So now I could, I could take action and find a solution to that problem rather than just having that problem go in circles, you know, um, because... Instead of repeating the same negative thoughts over and over and over again, uh, you know, you you could you could make a make a plan of action to address it, you know, and you write it down and you're as specific as possible, and you're also realistic with your expectations. And so doing all this will disrupt the rumination, you know, and it would also it will also help you to move forward, um, in a you know in getting the negative thought out of your head. So. That's 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 one of the things that people people could do, um, you know. Uh, but another thing too is challenging your thoughts, you know. Um, I said earlier, you know, what your thoughts are not your reality. That sometimes they're completely different. What's going on is that if your thoughts are charged by a negative emotion. So if you're if you're if you're if you're if you had a bad day and you're angry that day, that anger is going to control your entire your entire thought process. Or if you're sad that day, or if you're you know whatever emotional trigger you might have that day, that's going to be the fuel for your thoughts for the rest of the day. That's why it's important that we always have a positive state of mind. But that's that's a topic for another show. Um. So at that point, you're not reacting to your reality. You're reacting to your emotions, and your thoughts are not your reality. That's the fact, so, you know. So, challenging your thoughts and and questioning your thoughts is very helpful because it's like, what what am I what am I am I overreacting? You know, and going back to the word I used earlier, am I catastrophizing? Am I taking something too personal? That's another common thing that creates anxiety when when we have low self-esteem. And we're constantly looking for acceptance. And the moment we feel the slight bit of rejection, bam, there goes anxiety right there. Because that's a reminder that, you know, our negative core beliefs is like, oh, we're not lovable. You know, nobody loves us. Nobody wants us around. And it starts triggering your your thoughts, which, which create an emotion, which create a behavior. So 
Never forget that the, the, the trifecta there. You know, thoughts, emotions, and behavior are always going to be connected. So um, so that's another thing that we got to look, look into. It's like all these little things play into challenging your thoughts. You know what I'm saying? So you cannot take things personal. You cannot start because if you, if you live your life that way, then you're never going to have peace. You know, it's like it's like I think I said this uh, in the last show. Worry about what you could control. Don't worry about what you cannot control. Because a lot of the root of anxiety is based on the the need to control everything about your life. And a, a lot of it, um, a, a, a lot of the stuff that we go through are just the symptoms that that are based on our inability to control. You know, I work with a lot of people that have eating disorders, whether it whether they they're overweight or whether they're killing themselves with like bulimia. And, you know, at the core of it, it's not the fact that a person wants to lose a lot of weight or it's not the fact that a person's stress eating. It's the fact that they want to control something about their lives. It's the fact that at one time they had no control, whether they came from a chaotic family whether they had a trauma that robbed them of their control. So they're trying to replenish that control by giving into their addictions because in, in the brain's um, defense mechanisms, it, it concludes that this is what I could control. You know, if I want to, if I want to eat myself to death and gain a lot of weight, I could control that. So that's what I'm going to do. If I don't want to eat at all, Guess what? I could control that. So that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to kill myself in the process. And, you know, our brain is very it's it's it's, it's a very archaic way of surviving. You know, it, it survives in, in ways where our, sometimes it's not rational and we think we're being rational, but we're not really being rational. We're we're reacting um, and we're being manipulated with subconscious um, uh, motivations. So that's something that we have to look into. And, and it allows us to control our anxiety, you know. And I guess at the end of the day, to kind of not have anxiety, we have to really have good insights about who we are as people. We have to be honest with ourselves, you know. We, we can't because a lot of times we, we put barriers for our own truths. We tend to do that a lot, you know. We, we, we tend to, like, not want to recognize our deficits as individuals, and I think a person who's authentic recognizes what they have to work on. And they also, as much as recognizing what they're good at and their and their skills and, you know, their strengths, right? So I think a lot of people live in denial. And when you live in denial, you start repressing emotions. Because if you if you acknowledge them, it's going to hurt. But that's the only way to get through them, right? That, that That's the crutch of it all. So rather than acknowledge your emotions or rather than acknowledge a personality trait that you might not like because it's not socially acceptable, you, you hold all that in and it creates more anxiety because you're not being authentic with yourself. And I think being authentic is the most important thing anybody could be. And being authentic does not mean being perfect. Being authentic means being okay with your faults. Because you also have a lot to offer to the world, all right. So it's not it's not it's not a, uh, all black or all white thing. It's we're we're all it's called radical acceptance. We accept ourselves 
with our flaws, with our imperfections, while at the same time acknowledging our strengths and what we have to offer. And that's that's the first step into living an authentic life. Because when you have authenticity within yourself, people recognize that. And thus, you're able to bring more you, you're able to live a more defined lifestyle according to how you want to write your life, right? Not not according to other social pressures. And you have to be okay with that. Um, you know, I like I said earlier, I, I don't I, I don't like learned learned behaviors. Anybody that knows me knows that. Like I don't live my life trying to go from A to B to C to D because that's what my culture says, you know, or that's what my uh, community tells me to do. I just don't live like that. I like to be authentic, and I've always lived my life in an authentic way, and thus I'm accountable for all of my actions for that very reason. I, I don't I don't blame anybody but myself for all of my actions because I decided to define my life. But let's say even even if you if you do if you do have you know certain social pressures that that you are okay with and that they are creating anxiety. Like if if you want to buy a house or if you want to get married one day. I think people have these ideas in their head, but they don't take any action towards those goals. You know, it's like, where does it start? You know, well, if you want, if you want to, if you want to get married at a certain time, which is not a good idea to think that way. All right. I mean, it definitely, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody think that way because timelines are like anxiety's fucking fuel. If you give yourself a timeline, you're dead to rights right there. Let me tell you that right now. But, hey, if you are going to do that, which I don't recommend, but if you are going to do that, because sometimes we're so consumed by our social expectations that we just can't overcome them because we don't have those kind of insights yet about who we are. That's fine. We take it one step at a time here. If you are going to think like that, then put a plan of action. Then you have to go out and you have to date more often. You have to put yourselves in situations where that plan that you want to achieve is going to come to fruition. You want to buy a house, a big old house, that you're going to have to make that kind of money. Thus, you have to be career driven, right? You have to try to find a way to make that money. And there's people out there that, that define themselves by that, and they're very happy, and they're passionate about what they do because their goal is to get the big house with the big pool, right? Uh, some people, uh, you know, who come from specific cultures, they want to get married, and then they, they live for that, and but they put themselves in situations to meet people to get married. The worst thing that you could be doing in that in that scenario is to kind of live in your own head and have these expectations of yourself and not put a plan into action to achieve them. Because then you're not going to get anywhere. And then it's going to quell you with anxiety. So putting a plan of action is very important to whatever it is you want to do. Now, again, I would recommend working on yourself, working on your authenticity, and then allowing that personality trait to just uh, bring people to you, you know, in that sense. But a lot of people don't have the patience for that because that takes a lot of work. And that takes a lot of recognition of our imperfections and, our, and, and the stuff that we have to change about ourselves. Um, and a lot of that could be very deep and very traumatic. And a lot of people run away from that. So that's the, that's the way, that's, that's what I did with myself. And that's the way I would recommend other people because it gives you long-term benefits. But, you know, if you want to band-aid yourself through life, 
you still have to put a plan of action. And you still have to move forward. And that will help you with your anxiety. Because you're not thinking there at night like, oh my God, I'm running out of time, this or that or the other thing. Because you have a plan. Right? So that's, a, that's another thing that we could do as well. And also when you are setting your goals, make sure that they're realistic goals. Make sure that they're measurable goals. You know, you don't want to say, well, I want a husband. And then I want a husband by Monday. And it's like Sunday and shit. Or it's like fucking Friday and shit. All right? Because there's certain steps you have to take to get there. And sometimes we have to work on our self-esteem before we even start thinking about finding a partner. Right? Sometimes we have to fix our situation at home before we start thinking about finding a partner. Right? So these little goals are going to add up to the bigger picture. And the beautiful thing about setting goals, even if you give yourself two, three years down the line, is that it gives you a reason to get up every morning. It, 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 it gives you drive every day to wake up because you're working on a specific goal and you're working on an attainable goal. You know, something small that's going to lead to something that's going to lead to something bigger and then something bigger. So in that sense, um, you have you have your two, three year plan mapped out, whatever the case may be, and you're going to achieve it. Right. And the thing about setting goals, too, is that it's like a ladder of self-esteem going upwards. Like every time you attain a goal, you feel better about yourself and thus you have more self-esteem and you're able to move forward. So there's a lot of benefits to setting goals like that, setting small goals. And it could be it could be like I said, like I'll give you an example. I had one of my patients. He was depressed because he wanted to get a girlfriend. Right. So we sat down and we worked on the treatment plan together. And I said, you know, I asked him, what's your occupation? He's like, well, I don't have a job right now. So I told him, well, let's start there. Because the reality of it is that, you know, being in a relationship, there's there's a financial dependence on it, you know. And, of course, we're, we're also, we also talked about barriers and, you know, setting healthy boundaries, right, uh, which are very important in relationships, which is another topic for another show. But the point of it being that I presented to him as me and him were working on the treatment plan, it was it was a step by step plan that was going to put him in a situation to to go on dates and possibly be successful. You know, but the 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 first thing we had to take care of is the like the like the necessities of everyday life. Like if you have no money, you can't go on dates, bro. Sorry to sorry to tell you that. That's not how it works around here. <laughs> um and then after that, like if you don't have self-esteem, then you're not gonna ask anybody out. It's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. So, so we're working on on the the necessities of everyday life, like having a roof over your head, having a, a automobile, having a job, you know, having finances, and then we could work on the internal stuff, and then we'll get you out there and see what happens. All right, and you know, that's really that's really how we how we do this, and the entire time. This this young man is gonna be growing and evolving because he's gonna get to rec he's gonna get to understand who he is and he's gonna get to understand who what his wants are in life, you know. For all we know, once he starts making money, like he's no longer gonna want a girlfriend because he's gonna have other goals. Maybe he likes the career path that that you know, as an occupational therapist, we found for him, and all of a sudden he just wants to focus on that. That's fine, because it's, at the end of the day, he's being authentic with himself. So that's where it starts for everybody. And I think this idea of rumination in your head and this idea of anxiety comes from this um, other idea that we don't have a starting point 
or again going back to what i said earlier about this like this uh, weird idea of like well i wasted all this time when that's just the fantasy because time is subjective so having a plan having a goal it's important and once you have that and once you're working towards that i guarantee you that your anxiety levels are going to go a, a lot lower but that's only if you have if, if the anxiety is being uh, agitated by learned expectations and like i said earlier learned expectations are something that our worldview gives to us whether it's our culture our society our communities um the way we identify ourselves to the world that's how we get the anxiety sometimes now if, if the anxiety comes from trauma or the anxiety comes from an unconscious drive which means that you're not even aware of where you're getting the anxiety from let's say you're not worried about social pressures right but you still have anxiety so that's now we have to, we have to work at it in another way um, because now we have to we have to treat the trauma or we have to look at the unconscious motivations and understand why you're having this anxiety attacks when you don't even know why you know and that happens often you know usually in a, when when I have patients that come and see me and it's like well I I I'm, I'm I have anxiety because my neighbor is more successful than me or I have anxiety because I haven't gotten married yet, or I have anxiety because I haven't gotten a house yet, or I haven't gotten an education yet. To me, those are easy because they're learned behaviors, and we're gonna we're gonna work on you unlearning them. And it works, and people, uh, you know, they move on and they have a fully functional life. The ones that are a little more difficult are the ones that are trauma based, or the ones that are unconscious. And unconscious could mean that you know you had some sort of uh, attachment issues. Maybe you had abandonment issues when you were maybe like a like a toddler or maybe like, you know, six, seven years old. And then you repress those emotions. And then as an adult, they're coming back because they want to get out. Because let me tell you something, emotions never go anywhere. You know, they, they have to be processed and let go. If they're not processed, they'll come out in other ways, you know. And I talked in the previous show how they'll come out through addiction or, or negative behaviors or risky behaviors. So we gotta process these damn emotions, man. We gotta, we gotta, you know, saddle up and just take care of them. Um, and so, when we're dealing with unconscious anxiety or this unknown anxiety, then we have to sit there and, you know, kind of real, kind of just see what see what's going on. And and of course we have interventions for that as well. Um, but those are a little more complicated because that's a, that's. Uh, you know the therapy would be deeper and um it's it, it a lot of times that anxiety is ingrained in the person because they've been able to survive with it for so long that it's it's very difficult to get rid of it but with some of the some of the interventions that that are out there and like i said earlier like journaling works challenging your thoughts works they're able to just um stop it for the moment uh so that that's one of the things that that does work even though the anxiety itself will not go away because we don't really know where it comes from like in time hopefully we would but at that moment they they don't know where it comes from they still have to be able to sleep at night right we still have to be able to help the person sleep at night so we do tell them to journal we do tell them to uh you know challenge your, their thoughts um and and some of the other stuff so in that sense it does work so before we finish up here um, because I'm getting a little long in the tooth and I try to make these short because who wants to listen to me talk for an hour? So, um, I wanted to just go 
go over some uh, some cognitive distortions really fast because <coughs> excuse me cognitive distortions are very anxiety inducing mechanisms where our brain kind of uh, gives us these inaccurate thoughts and the, the cognitive distortions are there to reinforce our negative thinking or emotions which in turn trigger our anxiety you know and, and they tend to sound very rational and accurate but really they only serve to keep us feeling bad about ourselves uh, so you know the, it's good to go through some of these review them real quick before we get out of here um, this is only again these first couple of episodes um, this first four or five episodes I'm just trying to experiment with some things I do plan on having some guests in the future once this COVID shit goes away or we get back to normal or whatever um, but I like to have them in studio, so I like to um, have a conversation with them one-on-one, -on -one. and so we'll do that later on. I've already talked to some pretty uh, bright people in this field, and, and they'll be here talking talking shop with us. But yeah, but these cognitive distortions, I mean, uh, I'll give an example. Like, for example, somebody might tell themselves, I always fail when I try to do something new. I therefore fail at everything I try. So this this is this would be an example of one of the uh, cognitive distortion known as polarized thinking or black or white thinking, um, and and uh, that kind of thinking means that a person only sees things in absolutes, and if they fail at one thing, then they must fail at all things. So and then they end with I must be a complete loser or failure, and thus reinforcing their negative core belief, which in turn leads to anxiety because, again, if you, if you, uh, if you take into account all the um, social pressures that we've talked about in this episode, that could be very, very intense and, and people definitely lose sleep and their mental health goes all over the place during that time. So that's one of the cognitive distortions. So don't, don't, don't use polarized thinking, please. There is no all black or all white. We're all shades of gray here. You know, we have every every individual, every situation is complex and abstract. You know, there it not not every situation is the same. So you can't go in there and and think something before it happens. You know, um, and definitely allow yourself, give yourself the opportunity to experiment and gather your own thoughts based on the experience rather than the preconceived notion of what's going to happen. And then you could conclude whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Um, so there's there's polarized thinking. Another another cognitive distortion is filtering. You know, a person who engages in filtering or mental filtering, as it's called, they take the negative details and magnify those details while filtering out all the positive aspects of a situation. You know, a, a person may pick out a single detail and dwell on it exclusively so that their vision of reality becomes darkened or distorted. Uh, and that that means that a person will only see the negative side of things, whether it's another person, whether it's themselves, whether it's a situation, whatever the case may be, um, that's what the person's going to see. And again, once we're in that situation, this gets very tricky because now we're in a negative state of mind. That's a thought. So the behavior is going to be negative, right? Because the thought is negative, the emotion is negative, and the behavior will be negative. We talked about the trifecta earlier. And so you you kind of want to avoid that. Again, things things everything is a lot a lot of the things in this world are subjective. They're very complex, and not everything is black or white, and not, certainly not everything is negative. That's a fact. So, 
Um, overgeneralizing is another popular one. Uh, you know, people come to the general conclusion based on a single incident or a single piece of evidence, and they magnify that as well. So if something ha bad happens just once, all of a sudden that thing's going to happen all the time. And that is not the truth either. So that all could also lead to anxiety. Of course, there's jumping to conclusions. That's a popular one, right? When people just jump to conclusions. Um, catastrophizing, we, we devoted a whole segment to that earlier. Personalization. Uh, and that's, that's another one that's very common, much like catastrophizing. Personalization is when people's self-esteem is so low, they think everything uh, others do or say is some kind of direct personal reaction to them or an attack on them. They literally take it virtually everything personal, right? So, for example, people that invite other people to their party and nobody shows up, somebody with low self-esteem is going to take that incredibly personal. Whereas somebody with a higher level of esteem of themselves or a higher, a better self-concept will understand that, A, it is their choice to be down or not. It is not the choice of the person that did not go to the party. So they choose whether they're going to be uh, happy or not during that particular day. And also, rather than looking at the reasons why people didn't show up, whether it could be somebody couldn't find a babysitter, somebody's sick, you know, somebody is this, that, or the other thing, something justifiable, they'll just take it as a personal attack, right? When it's not personal at all. It could be a different different things that came up for different people. And to me, it's like, why would you why would I give somebody else that kind of power over me to ruin my happiness? If I have one guest or if I have 10 guests, we're going to make the best of it. We're going to have a good time because I know that those other guests didn't come because they don't like me. They didn't come because something else came up and whatever the case may be takes precedence. That's the choice that they made and that's fine, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to have a good time. And that's one of many choices. That's one of many, many different scenarios where people take things extremely personal and it affects their mental health. It affects their self-esteem. And it's something that they got to get out of because, you know, personalization is not always about you. I'm sorry to break it to you. It's not always about you. OK. Um, and there and there's a lot and there's a lot of other cognitive distortions. We'll get to them in other episodes. Um, I'm trying to cut this a little short this this week. Um, we're going to we're going to specialize in some topics. We're going to specialize in some interventions later on as we go through this through these shows. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day. I, I know anxiety is tough. I know it could be debilitating and it could seem like the end of the world to some people. You know, it could seem like you can't just get out of your own head. But you got to be kind to yourself. You got to allow yourself to be okay, not to be perfect. Enjoy your journey. Remember last week or two weeks ago, whenever the fuck, uh, <laughs> I, um, I talked about how your journey is, is unique to you. You know, you get to define your life. There's no competition with anyone. Our imperfections, they tend to be our best attributes anyway. You know, they are our unique fingerprints to the world. Just remain humble and compassionate and have some gratitude towards what you already have. Because there's enough magic in this world for all of us. Like, there really is. You know, and, and as we're going through this these episodes, I'll get into the magic of being in a state of awe which is what I try to practice daily. This idea that the minutia of life, the smallest details, the trivial stuff in life 
It's really where the magic lies. And it's all around us. We just have to be there to acknowledge it. And when you do have, when you do have anxiety at night, when you can't sleep, think of your gratitude. Think about what you do have rather than what you don't have. And allow that to ground you. All right? That's one of the, one of the best things you can do for yourself. Now, before we get out of here, I am going to give you one that I almost forgot about. There is a what we call grounding technique uh, in cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's the 5-4-3-2-1 coping technique for anxiety. So this has been proven to work, um, and it's the idea is that you, you use your five senses to bring you back to reality from the cognitive distortion or the, or the uh, anxiety that you're going, that's going on in your own head at that time where you can't escape your thoughts. And it could lead to something very scary, like a panic attack or even like a lack of sleep. But but this is more so for somebody that has extreme anxiety and they're having trouble breathing. So what you want to do is um, you want to start breathing slowly. Take some slow, deep breaths because what happens is that, remember, we talked earlier, you're in a fight or flight response. So... What's going on here is that your body is reacting to an attack that's perceived, that was created by your brain. So if you slow down your body, your body's going to tell your brain that it's no longer a dangerous situation because you're not breathing heavy. You're not. There's not a lion literally coming after you and you have to jump a 20-foot fence. So you start by breathing in and out. You acknowledge the panic attack. Normalizing your anxiety goes a long way with dealing with your anxiety because you could put an you could put a thought to that idea that anxiety passes, right? And then from there you start with step with the five, four, three, two, one process. You start you start with five things that you can see around you. It could be a, it could be anything from a pen, a spot on the ceiling, anything around you. You focus on that five things. Then you go to four things you can touch. You know, your hair, a pillow, you know, the wall, a rug, whatever the case may be. You touch it and you, and, you, and, you, and you focus on what you're touching. Then you focus on three things you could hear. Anything that you could hear, you focus on that. Whether it's the clock on your wall, the sound of nothingness, whatever the case may be. Then you focus on two things you can smell. You could go to your kitchen and grab some jelly beans, whatever. You smell that. Uh, smell whatever, you know, two things. Then you, 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 you acknowledge one thing you can taste. And, you know, you kind of uh, get a piece of gum, go have, have a drink, whatever. And you just kind of think about that and just taste it. And people have been helped by that. Because our brain can only do one thing at a time. They can't focus on two things. What, starts, what happens really all the time is that people try to outthink their anxiety. And their anxiety just gets overwhelmed them because you're like, I'm going to outthink you. But guess what? You're giving attention to it. That's really what you're not supposed to do. You, you have to let it pass through you. Let it stay there where it is because it ain't going to go anywhere. But if you don't focus on it, it'll, it'll kind of uh, it'll go away by itself in time. You know, a few minutes, maybe an hour. And then you could get some rest after that. But in order to do that, you have to occupy your mind with other things. And the, the this coping grounding technique helps. So anyway, so that's it for this episode. I think next week, I think I'm going to do a, uh, a COVID intervention episode. Because a lot of people that I work with, um, a lot of people are, are 
going through some tough time with COVID. So I think I'm going to do an episode on that. And then we're going to get into relationships and boundaries, which is very important. Um, and then later on, you know, I have certain topics lined up for the rest of the year. Um, so with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want to contact me or follow me on Instagram, that's where, where I usually hang out most of the time now anyway. Um, you could contact me at that boy lost in LA. That's on Instagram. And you could ask me questions right there. Um, I think I'm going to get on Twitter eventually. I don't want to, but I think I have to for this show. Because <laughs> um, social media is a whole nother, it's a whole nother topic for one day. Um, so anyways, and I'm also on Facebook under Pedro Nunez if you want to uh, hit me up right there as well. I rarely use Facebook nowadays, but I'll check it just for you, okay? Um, so with that in mind, thank you all for listening. This has been Shadows in the Cave, and we'll catch you at, we'll catch you guys uh, down the road later on. Bye.